Hello and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more Shelf Stories. Hey gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire, and on this week's podcast, I have one of my all-time favorite guests, a returning guest, Jason Perez from Shelf Stories. How are you doing, Jason? Yo, my peoples, what's up? What is this with one of the best friends in gaming? I don't don't like that as being associated lumped in with the riffraff. If you consider David Thompson to be riffraff, then that's... I am the one. No, no issues, David. No offense, David. But I am the one. <laughs> Speaking of working through our issues, uh, Jason, I've... <laughs> we've already started. <laughs> the one thing Jason's never won at is amount of times I crack up on a podcast. I'm going to make you shoot soda through your nose at some point. It's going to be amazing. You won't even (laughs) be drinking soda. Just come out. (laughs) So I brought Jason on because Jason. Focus, focus, focus. So I brought Jason on because in his day job, Jason is a therapist who uses games to help connect with his clients and help connect his clients with themselves. And so Jason, how, how, how is the practice these days? So the practice, um, I'm not using games nearly as much now. I'll tell you that right now, because uh, of the pandemic, because of COVID, and we, my, my uh, in-person therapy has, it's very low, um, very very low, for the very obviously reason why we have to, we're doing social distancing. I do have some clients, and we observe all the rules, and you know we wear a mask and we sanitize and we space them out. The, the waiting room is closed, so they have to wait in their cars. But for the most part, the overwhelming majority of my clients, I see about 40-ish a week, which is a lot, <laughs> a lot of clients, um, they are, we're doing telehealth. So like the video chats like this, but not Zoom because Zoom's not that safe. We have mental health and, and like doctor platforms like this. Um, but yeah, this is this is mostly what's going to happen. So like, uh, so gaming in person during COVID has definitely taken a plummet. I I did do it. I, I, I still get it a couple times though. <laughs> I'll never give it up. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So for full disclosure, everybody, I also, I have generalized anxiety. I do in fact see a therapist myself. Uh, I've been using telehealth during these, the, the pandemic because I just feel I work in a public school. I'm surrounded yeah. by people all day against my personal will. And I don't feel like it is ethically okay to then go and be in the same room with other people who aren't in my quarantine bubble as such as much of a bubble as I can keep. Sure. So in better times, what kinds of games are good for therapy? Depends on the what's being addressed, right? Um, so we should actually, before we do that, let's talk about like, like introducing games in general, you know, sure. like, like, you know, cause you mentioned before how you wanted to know about like, how do I pitch it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So I think that, so the question, but, and then I, but from there I can get into like, cause, cause the thing is like part of the cell job is like connecting, like, you know, explaining the game in such a way that like, okay, you have this problem. This game is good. If you, uh, to help you practice the the thing for this problem. So like, that's kind of the step part of the cell point. So we talk about the selling first, uh, cause there's a barrier, right? It's just a game. You know, people have that idea that it's just a game. We're doing kid stuff. It's, you know, I think, you know, we're talking to game, gamers over here. How many of you, um, like your gaming shelves are like in a, a, a locked away room 
or in an attic or a place where it's like, okay, uh, <laughs> not in the main area. So if people like see it, they go, oh, wow, this is, you're kind of a big kid, aren't you? Uh, so there's definitely that barrier to encounter. Um, and when I lay a, when I lay a game on a table, I will more than, I will fairly often get, okay, what are we doing here? Either they'll say it or they'll say it with their body language. Like because people are nice and they'll go with it. But the energy is I'm paying you a hundred plus dollars. Like, like for this 45 minute session, like, why are we sitting here playing game of King of Tokyo? So, <laughs> um, I think the way I explain it is there's a tool for every task, right? And you've, you know, especially if you've, uh, if a person has been in a lot of therapy and it's like, okay, we've been to, you've been to different therapies, you're still in therapy, you know? So clearly we need to have a different perspective on things. And my pitch kind of like from the outset is I'm all about perspective, change your mind. You can change the world. I end every video on that. And I'm, I will do anything that will help a client change their mind about something, anything. So it could be a game. It could be a puzzle. It could be a story. We tell stories. It could be role-playing. Uh, we had a mini D and D campaign for one of my, uh, <laughs> not D and D, but like, you know, kind of like a free form role-playing thing. Um, just, I will do anything to help people get perspective change. And if I can sell people on the idea that I could, that a game can help that, then that's kind of how I pitch it. That's really amazing. I, I mean, I just talked to my therapist, but you know, I've, you know, I think everybody who's in therapy goes through a phase, especially either when they're just starting or when they feel stuck where they think, man, like I'm paying all this money to just talk to somebody. Why am I doing that? Is this really worth the money? And then I find out that it is in fact worth it, but you have to try it. I, I, I was talking with somebody who was going through a divorce or, or thinking about going through a divorce. And they were, and I was like, okay, try couples counseling. I was like, well, that's too expensive. Divorces are way, way more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> this is a chance that you can save a lot of money. <laughs> I, like, so, I mean, it's, I think that the it's too expensive thing is a little bit of an excuse. I think there's a stigma around needing help. There's a stick, like people just don't want to admit it. So like they use the money thing or they use the time thing. Like, I mean, we know this in our lives, right? I mean, they'll say, I don't have time for it. People always have time for something that's important. You make time for things that are important to you. When you hear, I don't have time for that. What they're saying is it's not important to me. Or what they're saying is it's shameful. And, you know, we're, we're I'm tr absolutely trying to fight back against that. I think that you've had that like we had that, you know, I mean, full disclosure, we're not, you know, we're just going to go for it over here. Full disclosure, we've had that conversation, you know, you and me, it's like, okay, should we, you know, is there something that's good for you? And it's like, what's the barrier? Why, why not try it? Indeed. Yeah. I mean, you just, you just have to try things sometimes. All right. So to get back on track, um, so what games are good about solving the problem, so to speak? What kinds of games are go-tos for you? Because I feel like there's always overhead in terms of learning the rules of a game, but maybe you want to push some learning in order to get a little more depth. Like what's the, what's the trade-off there? It, so, okay. So I'll get back to, so I, okay. So now I've sold the game. Now I've sold, um, let's say it just worked. Yeah. <laughs> they, they are in, right. And I've explained it well. It's like, even though there's, there's that initial resistance, like, why am I playing such a silly thing? Uh, so it's like, okay, let's give it a shot. So now it radically depends on what I'm treating. Right. Yeah. So um, let's say it's uh 
attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, right? ADHD treatment tends to be very, you know, obviously you want to improve somebody's focus and it also tends to be very tactile. Like you want to get them to, you know, kind of use their hands, be aware, be mindful. Uh, because the thing with ADHD is you get captured. It's like, <laughs> you know, shiny ball and, and you get, you just carried away from the present moment. So you want to help people like cling on to the, the, the present moment as much as possible and build that resilience, build that strength. So it's like a dexterity game is wonderful for that. So like, you know, Rhino Hero, Minara, um, Ice Cool with the younger people, you know, like people like, like games that like really challenge people to be present. So then... So, okay, so, like, what is what do games do? Like, okay, it's not just about playing the game. It's about un kind of, like, deconstructing the game and figuring out what of the game, what part of the game can bring connection, healing, and build a skill. ADHD, it's the tactile and the focusing. Like, Rhino Hero, like, I remember I had one client. Like, everybody thinks they have ADHD, right? Everyone says, like, oh, I'm so ADD. But, like, this guy, <laughs> you look at this guy, it's like, okay, I don't have that. Um but he was playing Rhino here. He was focusing like a laser on the cards. <laughs> he, was so, he was so into it. He's like, I'm going to get to the ceiling. You watch. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you focused. This is great. You know, and I kind of go from there. So then if I'm treating anxiety, right. And, you know, anxiety is a good friend, right. Um, anxiety. It like, I want to play something calming and I want to play something that encourages a sense of safety. And like in a way, all games do that. All games offer a sense of safety. Like the world, I don't know the rules of the world. I like I get I get screwed all the time. In the game, I'm safe because I know the rules. Hopefully you know the rules. Yeah, <laughs> or the rules are knowable. <laughs> Hopefully you have a good <laughs> teacher and you've gotten yourself there. But once you kind of establish that that boundary, now you're safe. And like so a game like parks. You know, I have parks. There you go. There you go. Uh, so this is, uh, I love this game. It's a brilliant game. It's one of the games I'm going to review on the Dice Tower at some point. Um, a game like that is wonderful for just putting the person in a mind space where it, where it's calm and it's it's serene. It's not, it's not frantic. It's not like a million things I got to keep track of. It's just you can kind of very sink into the moment. And you can kind of trust the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and so like an anxious person, that's exactly what the problem is. There's no trust. They don't trust their own safety. They don't trust the world outside. I always like to say the opposite of anxiety is not calmness. It's actually trust. And then the trust brings that calmness. And so that's where, you know, a game like, you know, a sedate kind of experience will help me. Or Onirim. Onirim, I'll actually say like, okay, pick that up play i uh, uh, uh morton monorad predison my good friend mentions uh, only specifically when he's keyed up plays that game calm serene well paced stable everything works and everything's understandable um so stuff like that um so then and every you know i have i can kind of go down the list of the different things i treat too but i think that gets i think that gets the point across yeah, can we also just enjoy the irony that a game that is about potentially being trapped in a nightmare forever is calming? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> not a nightmare, a dreamscape. <laughs> but not the nightmares are what's keeping you there. <laughs> <laughs> but they're cute nightmares. They're, they they're are. Very cute nightmares. I know. I, I actually think if I had to like live in the world of Onirim, it would be like 
like, you know, the nightmare cat comes up and he's like, oh, kitty! would not know what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the bad guys are so adorable. Like, even in, you know, like Sylvia with, like, the big fireballs, it's like, oh, you're so cute! Oh, like- <laughs> fireball. <laughs> Well, I think of a game like Cartographers too. Another Cartographers is another one I, I recommend for you know anxiety. I've, I've talked about it in terms of like autism, which which was a, a unique way to do it. But like in terms of a broader application, um, you know, even the monsters are stable. Like the monsters are predictable. So like you get the monster and you have to draw it in the pad, and then they're just there, and they don't like like boom like mess with you. It's like they're not kind right. of jumps like it's not like some of these other games that are trying like trying to jump scare you. It's like or like like mess with you with randomness. Like you kinda you don't want a game with a lot of like thrills when you're right. you know like when you're in that space. And obviously, you know, like there are some people like there there are some games like I will use Fire Flashpoint. Where's Flashpoint? Ugh. Right there. Flashpoint is a, another kind of game that I'll use when I want people to kind of like be thrilled and then deal with all that upsetness. Yeah. Like, okay. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to key it up. They call it exposure therapy. <laughs> where it's like going to key up your anxiety. And then it's like, okay, all right, you can handle it. And then kind of bring them down that way. So that's yeah. one approach. But, you know, <laughs> so it's like, it's all about understanding that games are very vehicles for emotion. And understanding that, you know, we, you know, we, this is all about, I'm a mood doctor. I like to say to my clients, I'm all about mood doctor. You know, I want to help you improve your mood and stabilize your mood and manage your mood. So I'm going to give you this tool that has a emo- that can key up emotions in it, and we're going to try to app- apply it so that you can help to help you manage your mood, achieve your mood, whatever it is. That's an interesting way to put it because I've actually said this before, and I did not connect it to the fact that I have anxiety. But I one of the reasons I like to game solo is that sense of control and comfort of like oh i can just kind of do things at my pace i can stop i can come back like there's no social pressure i can do it my way mm-hmm. um but i also prefer playing like a tabletop game to playing a video game or an app and i think one of the reasons for that is because i'm more in the moment when i'm playing a board game than i am when i'm playing a video game video games are risky propositions for me personally because i can just disappear into them and pop out eight hours later and I didn't eat. And, you know, uh, one of my most stressful periods of my life was when I was writing my dissertation. That was also the time when I racked up a 250 hour game of Skyrim. (laughs) So the dissertation got written. It was great. But, (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) my my thing was, wow. I cracked a, a lot of hours of wow when I was in grad school. Right. And so, you know, I think we do use games as stress relief. I actually think that that's something that's more common than people realize. I think that maybe we do it to relieve stress. We think we're doing it to have fun or we say, oh, I'm playing games to relax. But it may mean more than just this is how I fill my free time. I think that that games are inherently relaxing on some level. I think there's a boundary, right? So video games are... are they're they're blessings and curses right like video game can be escapism but in that bad way so like you're putting off something that you should be confronting right or i I don't like the word should but like that it would be healthy for you to confront so it's like you know um i you know i have a paper due and i have like some things that i have to talk about but i'm just gonna play 16 hours of horizon zero dawn and just like you know let the world go away (laughs) 
<laughs> that's not that's not the best <laughs> right and they do it you know they're kind of on purpose like they designed to be a little bit addictive they're designed to be kind of like you know to please your pleasure centers and like let some of the other stuff kind of wilt so i'm gonna you know and not every hour of wow that i played was healthy <laughs> some uh some definite uh things were delayed <laughs> academically and personally um yeah for the sake of wow but um it is yes it is absolutely there uh and it's all about emotional manipulation it, like you know we don't stop being emotional beings ever like we no. never ever stop being emotional beings so there is we talk about escapism there is no escape from being an emotional being it's just a question of you know which emotions when and do the your, does your emotional life cohere into something healthy Right. Yeah. So then I also think yeah. that's such an interesting point because I think one of the issues that we run into, especially with more gatekeepy gamers, is people game because they like to win and they like to view themselves as people who are smart, as people who are rational, as people who made the best decisions. And I think even then you're still looking for an emotional boost from your game. It's just a different emotion that you're trying to create. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing as a purely rational, logical gaming experience. And there's no such thing as like a break, you know, uh, like you like like that achievement thing is an emotion. I think that when people think of emotions, they think of like the weepy stuff. Yeah. They think of like attachment, you know, what like the, the attachments that we have and how we react to our attachments. And then like, you know, I'm now doing just this thing that, you know, I can, you know, I got the achievement, achievement unlocked, all that kind of stuff. That's still emotion. It's just different, you know, and, and the healthy emotional life has balance between all these things, you know, and I like games because in a way like they they can call up some real awesome emotion but they're also yeah. severable like you're 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 really going to sink into an individual game now you can sink into your collection that's where gaming can kind of and i've talked i made a video about this about how games can and cannot make you happy like when you get to the point where you're invested in your collection and you're doing the retail therapy thing of like you make you using games to kind of like you, the purchase of games to make you feel better and right. you know it's just about adding 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 chasing the FOMO doing all that stuff like that's where games can kind of go wrong but yeah. you know it's always a good like kind of you know rule of thumb that like every single aspect of your life is emotional every single one and so there are no breaks from it there is no aspect of life that we could just like dive in and like right. that's going to be the thing that I need it it's always has to be a balance always has to be a balance. Yeah. yeah yeah i think that the thing that's so insidious about that too is that buying a game does feel good that's why you keep doing it like i mean it temporarily does make you feel better getting the box feels good getting something shipped and like having in, in front of your house you haven't yeah. even played it yet but like having whoa shipping notification i can't wait ah and then the yeah. box in front of your door that's it's all like, you know, pop 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 dopamine yeah, it's, it's all that sense of possibility, especially if you're feeling a little bit stuck, right? It just feels so good. Like, I can introduce something new and exciting to my life right now. Ding, mm -hmm. cool stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, just I, actually, I actually have to fight things on the other end now that I do more game reviewing. Because now I have more games than I can spend enough time with really like I have a big backlog and you know I have to be more aggressive about pruning games for my collection because otherwise you know my space gets cluttered and then I get stressed it's an entire different way mm -hmm. to be stressed out um you know it's also I think especially for those of us who are into games the way 
that people who would watch this channel or listen to my podcast are. I think being into games that way means that you also carry with you some sense of obligation. Some of your identity gets wrapped up in it. And so the possibility for it to be just for fun is at risk a lot, depending on how much you give to it. Every, like, we can't take a break from our emotional life. You know, every single aspect of it has, will it will uh, prompt something from us. And we need to be consistently vigilant that the thing that is prompting from us is the healthiest thing possible. We need to be consistently vigilant that the, the thing that we're doing integrates with the rest of our lives and the rest of our mentality. If we're, if we're sectioning something off and saying, you know, like, oh, this is my break from things, then that's, that'd be, yeah. that, so that become, that's a, you know, not that that's a, essentially a problem, but like, you know, question that, you know, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And I think like to get, you know, talking about the original topic of how I use games in therapy, like that's kind of where, like at, that's the end, at, at the end of the, the right answer. Like we code games as like frivolous in our head, but that's a cultural destination. It's not like reality, you know, like there are some, you can imagine a culture that takes their games very seriously <laughs> or subculture, whatever it is. And, you know, like why, why not? Why can't I use this tool? You know right. I mean? It's like, it's a tool like any other tool. I'm not, I don't put that stigma of gaming on, um, on the tool that I'm using. Yeah. Also, anybody who's ever rage quit is guilty of taking their game very seriously. <laughs> over competitiveness. I may do a separate video on over competitiveness. Actually, that's something that board gaming has been great for me for. So uh, with my anxiety, you know, comes fear of not doing a good enough job. And connected to that is the fact that I can be overly competitive. I've actually had to, I've come a long way since I was a kid. You know, I had a hard time with losing games when I was younger and, you know, being a board gamer and losing most of the time has actually been really, really good for me, but, <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah, it's a really good way for me to vent some of my competitive instincts, but in a place where I'm able to, you know, be among friends, deal with like that subset of my personality and also actually choosing the career that I did has been good because when you're a teacher, your success is the success of other people. So it really helps you dampen the competitive urges that you have. And yeah. so for me, that's been a good, a good way to handle it. I've but, done that work with younger people. You know, we're talking like preteen, you know, yeah. like, you know, six, seven, eight. There's a lot of sore loserism <laughs> at that age group. Yeah. <laughs> I see and it every day. So <laughs> I will whoop that behind, <laughs> whip some kids, butt at a Uno or something simple or Monopoly. Oh man. <laughs> people hate losing that monopoly because like the, the, a loss of monopoly is like you're bankrupt and you're you got nothing going on uh and you know it's like how does you know let's let's does it feel that bad let's work through the feelings again kind of an exposure therapy type thing like yeah that is a that is absolutely a work i can do and that's with a small child i think that people are very like okay with the idea of play therapy yeah. You know, like for a smaller child. So like, that's not, I just don't think that's something I have to defend. I could talk all about it all day, but it's not something I have to like explain. Right. Therapy games with adults is something I have to do a little bit more explaining about, which I why I appreciate the chance to do it here. Yeah. So speaking of, you mentioned that games are a safe place yeah. and that they are comforting, but a lot of the games I play are really 
brutal and I lose a lot. So how do you balance, you know, if, if you're, if somebody is working through something, you know, games also carry an inherent risk or maybe even likelihood of defeat. And how do you incorporate that into creating a sense of trust and safety in someone? Right. So I, so that, that's a really great question. It's a, I think I have to answer it a couple of ways. First of all, um, I won't play a heavy game. Like there is a limit to how heavy I'll play. So I think there's different kinds of feeling defeated in a game. So like there is, I was defeated because my opponent was, you know, just like straight up had great moves. I had good moves. My opponent had a little bit of better moves. That's a, that's a certain type of loss, right? Right. Or I lost because of the roll of the dice. Like, okay, I lost, they rolled six claws uh, in King of Tokyo and I lost because of that. So that's fine. Um, and then there's losses that it's like, I wasn't good enough at the game. I wasn't smart enough. I, yeah. I'm not picking this up very well. Like, you know, I think even like a game as simple as seven wonders because of the way, like the science track works and you have to like calculate the cubes or the, you know, square roots and sets and everything. Like, I think that game can make people feel dumb. And that's yeah. the kind of loss that I, I, I don't. I don't find very, I don't, I'm not going to go that, that direction in therapy. If I'm going to play a game, I'm gonna, it's going to be losses for those other reasons. Um, so then I guess like, so what, where do you want it to go from that? Did you want to talk about like, just, you know, those, like which, which aspect of loss would, did you want to get a little further into? Ooh, I mean, I just started, I was just thinking on the baseline of, you know, if you are already feeling like the world is against you and things can't go right, and then the game also doesn't go right, does that accidentally push you further into your self-defeating viewpoint? Or right. can being defeated in a game kind of fix that? Because like, oh, well, it's just a game. I'm, I'm still alive. I'm still here. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think so. Okay, that, that, that's good. That's clarifying. So the losses where that make people feel dumb, that's the least recoverable. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's, that causes the most injury I find like the, like I think the point of a game is not only to have fun, but to kind of feel clever. Right. Yes. You yeah. know? And I think if a game, like the structure of a game, because of the weight of the game, I think if, it, if, it, if you're playing a game and you're losing because you feel like you're not good enough or you feel dumb, that's going to be reinforcing. And that's kind of, you know, <laughs> that is separate work. <laughs> Um, so like, if it's a game where you have lost a lot, cause like, okay, I'm just, whatever. Like, I mean, I know I'm a loser in life, but like I won because like chances are good that like the lost luck was like some kind of like humor incurring moment. So like I may have lost, but I had a good time. I laughed so I can just kind of like, you know, I can, I can chalk that up to it as an overall win. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. So it's like, yeah. you know, I, we played King of Tokyo. Oh, I lost, but that was really fun. We had a really great time. I won at that 45 minutes in life. Right. And now I'm going back to the other thing. So like I've take I've I've done the thing that I want to do is take a break from life. Um I, I don't need I'm not invested in the outcome of the game. So I think that's another aspect to it. I think like, you know, if if people are reacting to losses that way to question, okay, what are you attached to? What have you lost? Have you are you over invested in the outcome? Mm. Or is your goal in the game to have fun or to connect? To have mm -hmm. a good time like so then you know if people are kind of having a loss like reaction that's the, the whenever you whenever you have like distress look for the attachment like what are they attached to right and you know and and like bad emotions come from uh separating a separation of attachment right mm -hmm. so then 
Like, okay, you're having a really bad time with this loss. What did you want to achieve? What did, What is that thing that you're attached to? What did you want to achieve? Uh, are you a, a competitive person who value, who defines themselves by their wins, by positive right. outcomes? Is that how you define yourself? And can we <laughs> go kind of go in a different direction or, or at least question that or say, okay, um, did you have a good time? Did you learn something? I'm a huge, th- I'm, a, I'm a huge guy about like that. I don't believe in failure. You're the winner. You learn, you know? Yeah. Um, so I try to realign their attachment and like redefine like what their goal is when they start to, you know, get that losing feeling. It's harder to do when people lose because they don't think they were smart enough. Mm, I can see that. So, yeah, that's but, actually but something that's I, struggle I struggle with that as a teacher too. You know, I think part of my job is actually providing material in Latin for the kids to learn. And then the bigger part of my job is making the students feel liked, supported, and Jedi mind tricking them into believing that they can do things that they didn't think that they could do. <laughs> 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 but I, I do feel that my, my students at least are more risk averse then, I mean, I've always been fairly risk averse. I take way more risks now as an adult than I was willing to as a kid because I was very concerned, right? That if I messed up, that it would like ruin the whole world. I mean, you're a Dice so Tower reviewer. Whether... You have your own YouTube channel. So that's all yeah, risk it in took, and of itself. It took me six months to be able to look at and hear myself comfortably in, in editing. It took a long time for me to be okay with how I sounded and how I looked. And I think that that's actually probably pretty common. I think maybe a lot of content creators don't talk about that, but um, you know, learning how to really look at yourself can be a a weird experience. So, you know, I just, for me, I'm just like, well, I want to do it so I can either not do it or I can get going time to buck up, you know? (laughs) And and so, you know, that's, you know, I've, (laughs) I, I have a tendency to sort of power through my anxiety if I really want something, but my students don't necessarily know that there's something good at the other side. Mm-hmm. And so getting them to make the jump can be really hard. And do you find that gaming also, I don't know, do you find that gaming gets your clients to reveal more of themselves to you and to relax, even if they don't necessarily realize it? Does it help buttoned up people kind of give a little more? No question. I mean, that that is part of the goal. Like I, 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 so I mentioned before about like there's specific games that I'll tune to different, um, what you know, uh, issues. I will say, ninety five percent of therapy is building relationship. Like that is like the core of if you're not building relationship, you're not doing a darn thing as a therapist. So I mean, in so far as any game can create a relationship, you know, with people. Uh, any game involves connection. Any game involves, you know, um, whether it's like some kind of like shared contract. So like if we're playing like a Uno, we're not going to like, you know, I'm not going to punch you in the face for playing draw four on me. You know? <laughs> that does not work both ways. Okay. <laughs> contract, but we, we do have a contract that we're going to accept a certain level of ha ha made you draw a bunch of cards or ha ha I skipped you a bunch. So I, you know, so there's a, so I, and in that interchange, in that like, you know, agreeing to us, agree, like we talked about the stable rule set, we've agreed to it. It's not just there, like we've agreed right. to it. And so like just any little bit of relationship building is good. Any little bit, any little bit of buy-in to a shared experience in a shared space is good. So uh, uh, remind me of your original question. I apologize for that. Oh, I was just asking, um, you know, do you, 
get your clients to reveal more about themselves than they intended to by playing right, right, with them. Yeah. I mean, uh, clients. I, I, okay. So I just want to like question the phrasing, like uh, clients always intend to say everything. <laughs> like, yeah, I think yeah. I, 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 from way more often than not, I think a client gets it that like, this is the place where we're going to, um, where I'm going to say what I got to say. The right. issue is we don't always know what we got to say. You know, like mm, it, it's, okay. a, it's a block in our head that like, I, I, I want to say something. I can't quite say it. I can't quite access it. We call it accessing, you know, whatever the emotion is. Like I say, I feel so way like people who like have like, they feel like they're going to cry, but they can't. I was like, <laughs> they're trying to watch movies. They're trying to do sad things. and They yeah. can't kind of get it. And it's just like, you know, we, we don't like our minds are huge. They better be huge or else we'd be dumb. So <laughs> they better be huge and complex and way beyond our understanding. So. Yeah. I think, you know, the best use of games is to access something that they can't even do. It's not like I, I've made them comfortable. Now they can do it. It's like I have broken down. I've given I've made them use another part of their brains and that mm -hmm. removed the barrier. So now that they can like kind of say something, if that makes sense. So if like, uh, let's say, you know, I, I don't, this has never happened. It's hypothetical. So let's say I'm playing a big game of pandemic and the person is just like, whatever, whatever. And, you know, we're playing and something happens and they all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I'm afraid I'm going to die from having a disease. Like, oh. You know, I, I never thought I'm 30, I'm 35. Why should I be afraid of this? But I, I never really realized I'm afraid of it. But like, yeah, I'm afraid right, I'm right. going to die. And they, and I, they couldn't get there on their own. So like, um, so I think a, a probably a, a more kind of to the point way of articulating that is like, I think helping them say what they want to say, even if they can't currently mm -hmm. say. That makes sense. Yeah. I think that, I mean, for me on the, the client end, right? Sometimes there are things that I feel like I know I need to talk about them, but I just don't want to yet. So I have to work my way around to it. Okay. And then, yeah, I mean, they're also, I mean, I think the reason, I think I've, actually, I believe everybody should go to therapy. I think it's a good thing just because having someone to talk to often leads you to saying things that you didn't intend to say, mm -hmm. but then you realize, wait, I did need to say that that was in there. Like I didn't come in realizing that was what I needed, but I came out realizing that, that I had needed something that I found. Yeah, I think, yeah. So I, yeah, to your point, yes, there are definitely things that clients like, I don't want to reveal this. Like there have been, you know, I've, yeah. I've been in therapy for like one or two years. Like, oh, by the way, I'd never mentioned this. I was like, I've been meaning to, but <laughs> it's like, I, don't, I get it. So it's, it's yeah. like, there's no, there's no judgment. Absolutely. Um, oh, man. Uh, wow. This is, <laughs> I just had something else. <laughs> uh, what did you say again? What were you saying about like, Oh, I had just said that um, I often either, you know, have to work myself up to saying something that I know I should, but don't feel like it. Or maybe there's something that I needed to confront, but I didn't realize I did. And that yeah. I feel like that's what you're speaking to. That yeah. sort of. So either one. Yeah. So like they, you either do it consciously or unconsciously. Like they're either holding, like in terms of the holding back. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what I want to say. Um, I'm hesitant to say that I'm. Like it's all the, and on that particular end, it's all about relationship building. And games yeah. are a tool to build a relationship among many, many, many other tools. So I'm hesitant to say like, okay, well, games. Oh, thank God, games are there because they they help people talk. Um, that in terms of that, just basic relationship building, that one I'm just gonna like use other. Like I, I actually art does that better. Mm -hmm. Art does that in terms of just the relationship building and just the helping people say things and talk. I'm a huge fan of art therapy. I'm a terrible artist, terrible artist. 
stick figure theater. <laughs> I'm a stick figure drawer as well. It's okay. <laughs> stick figure theater. Um, but okay. So like, uh, I'll give you an example. This happened when I was in practice in New York. So, um, you know, so I'm, she's a, I think she's, um, like in her like early twenties, still living at home, having a lot of mom issues. Right. And so like, she just, you know, she could, she just tell, like she was kind of not really wanting to say, cause she didn't want to criticize mom, but mom had done a lot of damage. So she's in that middle space of like, you know, I know I have to confront some things, but it's, she's mom. I, I'm a disrespect, you know, and all that. And then, you know, so we just did an art project and like the, the art was horrendous. It was, it was a stick figure of mom. And she was like, I just kind of drew her big little, little skirt thing. And then I drew the client on the floor, like laying down horizontal because like, you know, that she had a lot of like drinking. So she'd come home drunk and everything. And then I made a little squiggle next to the head as like indicating kind of vomit on the floor. And all it is, is, is one stick figure horizontal, one stick figure vertical, and then like a little squiggle next to the head. And this woman just burst into tears. Just like, you know, just like, like the waterworks because the guilt and the resentment and like, don't judge me, mom, you know, type thing. And, you know, how could you let me get to this position? And, you know, I'm not a bad person. Like all that stuff was just from like a, a pictorial representation. Very simple, you know, and I'm not, the games are, because games are, games come prepackaged. Right. Their own art. It's their own vision. It's their own kind of working. So they provoke different kinds of emotions. But in terms of access, I'd rather have the more open-ended, uh, yeah. you know, stuff. And, or maybe even RPG. You yeah. know, our, getting people, um, I once had a, a girl made her own, make her own character. And she gave herself high con and high end. No, she gave herself high con and low end. And I said, do you really have an eight end? And she's like, yeah, I'm dumb. Oh, no. And I'm like, you're not dumb. <laughs> and it was in the, in the process of making a character that she kind of accessed her root feeling that even yeah. though she's smart, she thinks she's dumb. And oh, then we moving through that process. And as a teacher, you, I know you, you really got there because you've been there. You know that, a, that a, a, you've seen where a student feels like they're dumb, but you know objectively they're smart. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually run into that all the time. I think it's easier to tell yourself that you're not smart than it is to be smart and mess up. Right. Right. I think that's, I think that's what it is. Um, of course, the other issue that I do run into is I have students who just genuinely struggle and they watch other people just racing along and they feel bad. And I find that literally anything to build confidence is, is worth the time and worth the effort. Because from my perspective, like, I think a lot of students think that you see them and maybe clients are like this too. Like, I don't really know how my therapist sees me. Does it make sense? I'm sure there's all sorts of things I could project. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I think my students look at me and I think that sometimes they think that when I give them a grade, I'm telling them what I think of them as opposed to what I what their work indicated about their current knowledge of Latin. And those are two very different things. No question. Um, right. And, you know, helping, I think people separate their, their worth as a person from their performance in a specific area is way more important than we think. I think, especially for young people. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, like young people, their whole life is, like you know 
academics. Like that's how they're rated. And like you know, we talk, you know, we can go on a whole different rant about grades. And, oh, and it's almost like how grades kind of are in a way is like almost like acts of violence against people. I think so. You know, yeah. I mean, in a way, look, grades are fine, <laughs> but like the way we use grades to like, okay, you can't get to the next level until you achieve certain things at this level. And if you fall short of this, then it's like, you're a, you're a dumb person. You're a bad person. You're, you're behind. You're, and the, the way we've leveraged grades into like, this is the evaluation. We've reduced people to their grade. That's yes. the violence. That is violence. Yeah. As a teacher, I would say that grading is my very least favorite part of the job. I hate assigning grades. Um, my grades are something that I have to do. And if it was up to me, I'd probably like have fewer students and then write everybody a really long letter about their areas of strength and weakness and what I perceived about them in class and mm. like have that instead of a grade. <laughs> because, well, it's actually just like writing a review, right? Like you and I were talking about this literally before we started this recording of people just want, what's the rating? What do you rate it? What's the rating? And it's so much more complicated than that. Like you need to listen to the review because the rating is not this objective thing out there in the middle of nowhere just like etched on the universe like it's it's a very contextual very personal like every every nine that i give on a board game or whatever right i give for a different reason because the game does something different that i felt was valuable or if it's a game that i dislike i very rarely dislike a bunch of games for the exact same reason you know like (laughs) i do not think uno is as good a game as gloomhaven people <laughs> I gave both a nine, but people think like, "Oh my god, this is a terrible thing." It's like, no, it's it's, it's context. It's all context. It's all what I'm doing. It's all what the person is responding to. It's all have I tried things differently? And then you know they come do they what they come back to is like that's it's all contextual. And it's the same thing with grading. It's the same thing, you know, with just like self judgment, self evaluation. You know, I think that we it's 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 safe. Yeah. Right. It's safe to have a standard. It feels reassuring. You know, it's like the, the Dice Tower Seal Excellence. It's very reassuring to know, like, okay, if I'm if a game has that, ah, it's it's probably right. good. And so I threaten that by giving that, by giving that, you know, Uno and I'm so, oh my God, you've you've ruined it. I I don't feel safe anymore. The the seal has been ruined, whatever, whatever. Uh and then, you know, with grading. Like, I can't tell you, um, you know, like school grades, I was a teacher too. I can't tell you how reassured people felt, how like affirmed and, you know, just like validated people felt when they got whatever grade and how invalidated they felt when they fell short, yeah. you know, and that is, it's something we have to look to culturally. And it's something that I absolutely treat in therapy all the time. Our inner yeah. judge. Our inner judge is something I absolutely treat all the time in therapy. Yeah. And I mean, full disclosure, that's basically my whole life. I, school was always the thing I was really good at. It's the thing I've been best at my entire life. You know, I was a great student, always. But that also meant that when I didn't know something, it was really stressful. It's probably I probably hate math more than I should because I associated math with risk of getting a bad grade and therefore failure. So like for me, failure means like less than a 95. You know, <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> But the thing that the thing that also kind of sucks about that, though, and it's I don't regret where my life has gone, but it's true. You know, I got the grades and then I got into the fancy college. I got great grades at the fancy college. I got into the fancy grad school. Basically, my patterns of work rewarded me for my entire life until I had an advisor who was sort of neglectful and I had to find my own non-external source of validation. 
Mm. And, you know, I think that the thing that's the most insidious about these sorts of things, right, is that it pays off in the long run for a while. There's a lot of incentive. Yeah, the the incentive structure is perverse in this case, where it's like you are rewarded for neglecting self-care. And yeah, you know, I think that's like, also up all night and, and banging out that extra credit thing, and that that's a reward in this society. Oh yeah, that's also though what makes games dangerous in a way, especially video games for me anyway. Is that again they reward neglecting other aspects of your life. They all call you, you know, notification on the phone, or you know, um, there are games that you can't pause, games that you can't just save and quit, games that hold you as long as they can because that's the goal of the game is to hold you not to fulfill you and i don't know for me that's what board games do for me is they give me something that doesn't keep me trapped it's Mm -hmm. it's a very free relationship between my games and me and i like that yeah the the game experience itself is very severable from you know obviously you don't want to interrupt the whole game of twilight impairing if you're into it and everything but you could take a little bathroom Yeah, <laughs> and come back to your territory, and it's not. It, and yeah, in, in in a way, like the severability, the tactileness. You know, we mentioned before, we'd rather play a board game than a video game. A lot of the time, there's certain ones I I, I like. I prefer Oni Room on the 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 app because I don't like shuffling. All that. See, I do like shuffling because for me, it's it's a meditative. Like, oh, this feels really nice. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm good on shuffling. Uh, so I, for the most part, though, like I, I have a much more satisfying time with it with the tactile experience of a board game. Like you know, like again, like so, I mean, um, board games offer certain experiences. They they don't they're not universal. They don't offer everything, and you have to work with it over time. You have to like if you're a parent, which board games you know, and um, yeah. you know, and how are you going to play the board game? Are you going to play rules as written? Are you going to adjust something? Like, it, like you have to be smart with this stuff. You know, I, I'm not going to say board games are frivolous. I'm not going to say board games are awesome at everything. There is a lane, right? And you know, and there, that's the that's the goal of my therapy. It's the goal of myself as a parent is to find what board games are good at, and they're good at some things, and mm-hmm. go for it. You know, are they not good at everything? Yeah. No, if there's something that, you know, in terms of the relationship building, I'm going to go more the art direction or or something else, you know, and, and there's all sorts of tools in the chat. It's, it's, it's human experience, man. Game, games are just part of the human, human experience to me. Yeah, that makes, I, I can feel that. So normally self-medication is not recommended, but <laughs> in the case of games, I think we can make an exception. Yeah. So if you're, so as a final question, if you're looking to play games for relaxation or for being more centered. What are some recommendations that you would give to our listeners? Okay. For like general, like um, feeling, feeling good, feeling better, like the calm app, but for board games. Correct. I love the calm (laughs) app. Full disclosure, everyone. (laughs) I've mentioned a few, I've mentioned Oni Raymond, I've mentioned parks. Um, uh, Sunset over water is one that I like. That's that does the parks thing of like beautiful cards, beautiful artwork, meditative, um, safe kind of like, you know, uh, stuff. I mean, beyond like, so that's, that's, that's my personality. Like I find pandemic relaxing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can sever, I can separate the theme of it. Like of like, uh, these are diseases. Like I've played right. thousands of games of pandemic, whether it's on the app, whether it's in person, whether it's expansions, whether it's, you know, different iterate, I've played thousands of games. Like I don't, see the theme anymore it's just like what is it's like you know cubes on a board it's not a very random game 
it's not like there's like it's gonna come out like it's not like you know like a arkham horror game they 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 love they love putting like all sorts of crazy things now all of a sudden you the whole board state has changed oh my god um pandemic's not like that pandemic is is calm stable but challenging you know yeah. like I, I mean an outbreak's occurring somewhere but i don't know where so then when the outbreak comes i you know go deal with it like i, I mean to me like that's why it's my favorite game you know, I, I know we're supposed to do top like 50, 50 at some point, like just uh, blow it out. I'm already ruining number one people. <laughs> <laughs> Pandemic is by far and away. It'll always be because it, because the, just, just what you said, Liz, it offers that meditative, calm, stable, challenging dynamic. Mm -hmm. it, it just puts together so many things for me. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be different for other people, but those are the ones that I can kind of like recommend. And also, um, King of Tokyo. Like the hmm. more I play King of Tokyo, and I know it's like um it's you know, like Rock'em Sock'em, like that's a theme is Rock'em Sock'em, and I get that part, but like I find that the rule set is so simple. And the dice, the the big chunky dice, I don't think it would be as good with smaller dice. Weirdly. The big chunky dice and people are like, you know, and like the whole thing of it is really just I wouldn't say calming, but it's reassuring and it's right. just stable fun every time I take it out. So, I mean, it, again, it's, I, 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 there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. If you're a scientist, maybe even periodic, I look at periodic over here. Like if you're a science, this is a really, really outstanding one for if you have that, that, that brain space, because it's just basically the periodic table, but like they laid a game on top of it. And like this hmm. abstract kind of like I'm gonna you know Celsius or, or um, calcium and sodium make salt and ooh. <laughs> whatever works. Hey, whatever works. And so I've already mentioned this earlier, but where can people find you on the internet? I am on Shelf Stories. Uh, so we, um, I'm not sure exactly sure how I'm going to put this on Shelf Stories, but it will it will appear on my channel. Um, you know, at some point after Liz posts. Uh, so uh, Shelf Story is a YouTube channel. It's my talking head channel where I, I have interviews like this one. Uh, I have um, chats with a lot of friends, designers, publishers about their latest Kickstarters or about some interesting topic. Uh, also, I do my Shelf Help series, which is specifically focused on aspects of mental health. Uh, so, you know, I try to you know, make them bite-sized as much as I can. <laughs> I'm working on that. Um, but, you know, it's uh, I think I've had some interesting discussions and, you know, I make people... Uh, my, my greatest happiness is to make people think with that series. Uh, so that is Shelf Stories. I'm also reviewing the Dice Tower with Liz. Yeah. Best to be do our thing together. I'm also a playthrough person uh, with the One Stop Co-op Shop. So I'm, a, I'm not hard to find. And that is a very good thing. And as usual, everybody, you can find me anywhere on the internet as Beyond Solitaire. Thank you so much for listening and happy gaming. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. <laughs>